In episode 30 of the Executives and Wealth Management podcast, we were pleased to be joined by Svenja Keller of Svenja Keller Limited. Um, what's interesting about the conversation with Svenja is after a highly successful career within wealth management, financial planning, culminating in the head of wealth planning position with Killica Co. Svenja made the significant life decision to step out of corporate world and set up her own micro business entirely for lifestyle choices. We unpicked the emotional journey that Svenja has been on, both to make that decision and, and adapting to life outside of corporate world and the longer term aspirations that Svenja is looking to realise by making this type of career change. Svenja, thank you for coming on to the Executives and Wealth Management podcast. How are you? Yeah, hi, Svenja. Thanks for having me. I'm really well. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, I remember sending you an email before we'd recorded one at all. I think it was in January, something like something like that, saying that you must come on. So this one's been uh, brewing for a little while because I think you've got a, a really good story to tell, Svenja. So um, yeah, let's let's just get get stuck in. So you you grew up in in, in Germany, is that not, is that right, Svenja? Yeah, I was born on the German German Baltic coast, so very northern, hence my Scandinavian first name. Um, I grew up in close to Kiel, which is um, um, just an hour south of the Danish border. Um, and Kiel is famous for its canal between the Baltic and the North Sea. So um, lots of big ships going past. And what, what was life like uh, then growing up around there? Yeah, I mean, I grew up on the beach. I'm, you know, sailing is a big part of what we do, although I, I'm not a big sailor, but, you know, having that kind of coastal life is, is a big part. And actually now uh, I really miss the sea. I live in the Midlands. Why? I don't know why I pick uh, some, somewhere that's right in the middle of, of England, but um, um, I do miss the sea. And Life was, you know, I grew up in a small village. Um, it was quiet. It, you know, our primary school, we were 11 children in class, so very small. Um, and then um, secondary school was bigger. It was in, in Kiel, in the town. So, um, yeah, but it was it was a very, a very nice sheltered upbringing, really. And do you have professional parents at home? Were they quite ambitious for you, or are you a bit of an outlier in the family? Um, my parents, my my father has worked for the German Navy all his life, so not not very business. Um, is more of a technical person. Um, my mum has always worked with children in foster homes and and in nurseries later, so. Not actually, um, my brother and I both went into finance, but that wasn't, that didn't come from my parents. I think that come, came more from uncle and aunt. Um, and I probably, I was, my brother is four years older, so I probably followed him a little bit as well. <laughs> Tell me about uncle and aunt. Yeah, my uncle, he, my mom had a lot of brothers and sisters, so she had nine nine brothers and sisters, all married, all with children, so a huge family. My dad had was a single child because um, his father um, stayed in Austria after the war, so actually my, my, my grandmother brought him up by herself, and my grandmother actually, my, dad, my parents live in the house that my dad was born in. It was his grandparents' house, and... Um, my grandmother had a granny flat in that house. So we we grew up with grandmother around and her brother. So my great uncle lived next door with his wife. So a very, very traditional um, upbringing, but it was lovely to have them around. They were always there for us. Um, and, and aunt and uncle on the other side. So 
um, you know, they they were more successful or the more successful ones in the family. So I I probably mimicked. I thought, oh, you know, they they're doing well. They're driving nice cars, all those things. Then um, my brother probably thought the same. He my brother studied economics and. Um, and we both actually went to do a banking apprenticeship before we went to uni, um, which is quite common in Germany. A banking apprenticeship is seen as like a, a really grounding experience and kind of a good level of base knowledge. Um, and I was, I, I actually was part of a special program. So I did my banking apprenticeship in two instead of three years. And I also started studying at a university parallel to doing the apprenticeship. So it was like a fast track program. And then when I finished that, I switched to a private university in Dortmund, but I continued to work for the bank as well. So you can see early on, I was on a mission quick, quick, quick. I wanted everything fast. I was super ambitious and I was pushing for a good career from very early on. I had good grades in school. I was always very ambitious. Um, and that was, that was all I was set on. It was really clear. I had a good path. Um, I knew what I wanted. Um, and that, that's how my career started. Yeah. I can't help but think about how your dad must have felt the first time he walked into your mother's home. <laughs> A single, single, single child walking into a house with ten siblings. <laughs> that would be an intense experience, I expect. But um, no, okay. So, well, we won't, we won't go down that. Um, so, very, um, very driven. Um, from a very, from the right at the start of your career, you know, managing lots of different things and, and know exactly. Maybe not exactly where you want to go, but you know that you're going to work hard and you're going to progress within finance and, you know, life will take you where it takes you. So you go to university and uh, and, and what about the few, the, the years after um, university? What, what did that look like? Yeah, I should say I was also always very set on having international experience. So while I was still at school, I took a year out to live in the States. So I was an exchange student, which again, for Germans, that's fairly common. So I lived with a family in the States and Wisconsin. Um, they were lovely. I, I, they, they're my second family. I still speak to them. I've got some good friends in Wisconsin and some of them are now in other states. And I went to high school there. So I rode the yellow bus. I did the whole experience. I actually they allowed me to graduate so I had cap and gown um everything and and that kind of went through to university as well so I studied international business um at a private school which was called International School of Management part of that was to go um to spend two semesters abroad so um and do some practical experience as well so i spent one semester in neuchatel in switzerland to get my i had to cover two different languages so that was french speaking and then i was actually accepted to do a master's in lancaster um in money and finance um but i did an an internship between my penultimate and my last semester at uni at, and the internship was at Lehman Brothers in Frankfurt and I at that internship they offered me to stay so they offered me a job so instead of going to do my masters I just did my last semester and I still had to do a semester abroad so I went to Australia um, so I studied one semester in Australia, which was my last one to, to finish university. And I already had the job at Lehman Brothers. So I had a few months in between and I used that to do, I always say I did the long route home from Australia. So I traveled around the world to get home basically. <laughs> and that's how I ended up at, um, at Lehman Brothers in Frankfurt. I'd already done three months of internship with them. They knew me, I knew them. I started and I worked in uh, mergers and acquisitions there 
uh, focusing on banks, uh, German-speaking banks in the region. I joined Lehman Brothers. Actually, while I was traveling, I met my now husband on an airplane. So um, he's, he's Welsh, so there was a connection to um, Britain. Um, but actually, then we spent a year or so all over the place because I worked for Lehman Brothers. We had a big project in Dubai, so I spent quite a bit of time out there. My husband worked in Wales, but he was seconded to Sweden at the time. So we kind of flew wherever we were to meet, um, which was quite fun. Um, and then Lehman Brothers would send everyone on to the graduate training program, which was in London. So I went to London and um, it was eight weeks of training I had to do. Um, a certificate with the Securities Institute, I think back then it was called. Um, and I had to do some in-house training. It was actually in 2007 when kind of the crisis was starting a little bit. Um, and they offered, they wanted the German speaker in one of their teams. They offered me to stay. And obviously because of my now husband, I stayed. It was like a no-brainer to stay. So eight weeks turned into, well, 15 years yeah. or so. The rest of your <laughs> life, counting. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's how I, I moved from Frankfurt to London then with, within a, the space of a few weeks, literally. It, it was all very, it, it, I didn't even think that much about it. But for me, it was just career, career, career. And, um, personal life kind of just fit in it it all just fit together I didn't have to think too much about it and actually I never really thought that much about it I'd traveled in so many countries but I I never moved permanently so that was the first time I moved with a more permanent setting and it was a bit of a shock to the system because all of the sudden I had to change my tax status and all those things that as a young person, you have absolutely no clue what's going on. And I, I remember HMRC then started hassling me to backdate returns. And because it was all PAYE, um, it was fine, but it was one P out. So HMRC actually made me, they, they made me, they said I owed them one P and they fined me one P. So I had to transfer them to P, <laughs> <laughs> which was after, I don't know how many letters I sent to them. They insisted that I sent them to P. <laughs> so, but it, it was, it was actually, I think, was it naive or I just didn't think as much when I was younger, I just went, I said yes to everything. I was just always happy to, yeah. Well, you know, good for the career, let's do it. Um, so that that's how it's kind of all just happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? It must have been a must have been an exciting few years. Um but so so we get we get to London then. Okay, and we we've 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 paid our two P fine and now we're ready to to move forward. Um how how do you go from Lehman Brothers to you know, this this conversation is you know aimed at a, an audience that's very largely around sort of private client wealth management. So, at what point do you step into the first retail wealth management position in your career? Yeah. So at Lehman Brothers in 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 Frankfurt, I worked in mergers and acquisitions. In London, my position was in derivatives. So, um, I. I, we, we were involved in structuring bespoke derivatives for, for companies and individuals, but actually our biggest client was, was a German in German person. Um, and we mainly dealt with his family office. So it was already more about the private individual. He was actually the biggest private client that Lehman brothers had, um, the family office um leader he went to meet dick fold in um the the head the ceo of lehman brothers in new york 
But I, it was two things really. I already noticed I really missed the personal interaction. I, I was one small piece in the puzzle. I never met the individual that we were advising. Um, I, it, it was, it was still very transactional and I, I mean, I'd, I'd done my banking apprenticeship. I've been behind the counter. I've, um, I've, I've, um, handed out Euro starter kits when we switched from Deutschmark to Euro. I had, I did, you know, I did everything with the public and I missed that personal relationship with people. And so it, and, and then we had all these firing rounds at Lehman because clearly it wasn't going very well. And I think there were two or three Mondays where all the phones would ring and then people would disappear and you never see them again. It was quite traumatic. Um, and, and everyone knew about it. They would go up to the first floor. HR would read out a statement to them and they would have to leave the building straight away. Um, and they were quite big culls. I mean, they were ruthless. Um, and then at the end of the day, you kind of ring up your friends and see if they're still there. Um, it was a bit bizarre. Um, but I, I kind of, it was my personal feeling that something was missing and I wasn't, I, I enjoyed the fast pace. I enjoyed kind of the pressure and getting things out. And But I, I just... I didn't enjoy not meeting the clients and something was missing. So I actually did some career coaching to figure out what I wanted. And I discovered financial planning through that. Um, it was a three months program and I made the conscious decision to go into financial planning, which is not how most people end up in financial advice. So I was always really clear that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and and I did so. I I quit my job, um, started studying. I you know none of my qualifications from Germany count here, which makes sense. The tax system is totally different. So I embarked on just getting my my diploma first, and then went on to do my advanced diploma. I worked for a smaller IFA while I did that to gain some experience to just learn how the industry works and, and, and that's how I entered the, the financial planning industry really. Yeah. I, um, I didn't know actually that you made a conscious decision to, to step into planning. Not many people do. Um, very few people do actually. So that, that is, that is really interesting. And how did you find the process of working with a, career coach I think that was kind of my first interaction with coaching and I don't think I realized it at the time but the fact that I came to the conclusion for myself with the help of the coach that I wanted to be a financial planner has kind of made me stick with it for a long time and it's always this unwavering, this is what I decided. I went through a process. I'm sure this is what I want to do. It gave me that clarity. Um, but I, I think I didn't realize at the time how important that was, but through, throughout the stages of my financial planning career, I've certainly always gone back to the roots of, I want to be a financial planner. I want to help clients with their finances. Definitely. Good. And your career as a financial planner, you know, was very successful. You know, there's no way of getting around that. You know, you've had very senior roles with Investec, with UBS, with Killick and Co. You know, ran the wealth planning department at Killick when it was, you know, probably at its largest. Um, it's yeah. So, can we talk about that kind of transition over that? whatever period of time it was, let's say it's 10 years of, of working in that, you know, IFA, getting a job, doing the qualifications to a point of, okay, we're, we're competent now and we understand what planning is and the the stuff that you need to learn to be able to do the job to, to running, you know, being head of wealth planning, still advising clients, but also building a department around financial planning within a very successful investment house in Mayfair. 
What was that journey like? I think there's, you know, I, I've always enjoyed working with clients. I, we made a, a decision to leave London, which was more of a, a family decision because my husband is an engineer and engineering in London isn't very big. So we, I, we can, I kind of was lucky almost to get into that job at PwC in Birmingham. And I really enjoyed it. We dealt with some amazing clients and, and I've always enjoyed that. I think UBS has shown me really how processes work and what to look out for. I've learned a lot there and I stepped into my first management position there as well. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really know what to say. It, it just kind of always happened and I, but you can see there was always a bit of restlessness there as well to, to get the bigger job, to do the next thing. Um, and I'm in hindsight, I think I kind of, I kind of rushed it too much. I could have probably taken it a bit slower, um, and might still be in that profession if I hadn't rushed it. But, you know, things happen for a reason and I felt ready every time I made the jump. So, um, there's a reason for that. And I, you know, I think building the department has really played to my strengths. I'm very structured in my thinking. I'm organized, which is all my German side of me coming through. Um, but I've also more and more, I noticed how I enjoy the psychology of things, this, the people side of things as well. And that's obviously building a team has, has helped me there as well. Okay. So, so what I'd normally do now, Svenja, is start to try and unpick things like this, the psychology around how you approach developing people. And perhaps we'll, we'll move on to that later as we kind of talk about your role now but I think what's really fascinating about your story is this is this turning point you know of when because for people that don't know you decided that corporate life wasn't for you there was nothing wrong with Killick and the job was great and the business was great but the corporate responsibility and the, the effect on lifestyle wasn't you weren't in that kind of equilibrium that people aspire to. So you made a proactive decision to make a very significant lifestyle change and set up a business on your own based from home. And so I want to talk about as a very driven person that always worked hard, that got as qualified as, frankly, you know, you can be in the UK world space, who always wanted the bigger job, who was very quick to develop and progress and you, perhaps you say perhaps too quick in, in hindsight at what point did you kind of stop and think about what is success and why am I doing this and when did you start to think about maybe there's a different way to live your life I think this started really early on so maybe that restlessness was already a sign of me looking what more do I want and every time I got the bigger job I realized that isn't it I want the next big job and then you get to head of wealth planning and having quite a big team and being a partner and you think oh that isn't it either <laughs> so it, whether it is you know part of me has enjoyed the journey so and and I am someone who just wants to see can I do it um, you know, it's the challenge and then you get there and, and then you think I can't do it. So what's next? So in a way, the next thing was, can I run my own business? Can I start something unique? Can I do something? So it is almost a follow on from that, um, that I wanted to do. It's this question of, can I do it? And then I want the challenge, but I, I also, I think, so it, it was always, I, I'm not quite satisfied. So I go for the next bigger job. Let's see whether that's it. And I think when I then had the title and being a partner and all those things, I, and I realized this isn't, I'm still, I, I just don't feel, you know, that this is it. 
I, I don't know. I, I just think I started looking around. I was, that was way before COVID to be totally honest. Um, I decided that, um, something was missing still after, you know, and, and I have had periods of being satisfied and, and happy, but I think it's all, it's almost like there's this research that once you get to a certain amount of salary, every pound you add after that, you actually, um, you're not a adding to your lifestyle. That was certainly the case for me as well. My lifestyle hadn't changed. My fighters actually don't care what my job title is. It's all those things you think, hmm, why am I doing it then? And maybe it's also, you know, a process of getting older that you think, you know, it, is this worth it? Or, you know, I've, I've had a good career. Maybe it's time to, to go on a different adventure. And I think there was a moment um, and, and you know that I, I like running. Um, I was out on a really long run and I always like listening to podcasts and there was someone on who talked about, you know, make, decide what your four words are in life and then decide your, your, make your decisions based on those four words. And I started thinking, what are my four words? And I, I, I remember being on that run and and thinking, actually, you know, I thought lo I had loads of time. So I spent loads of time debating what my four words are. And I came up with adventure, inspiration, growth, and joy. And then I, I kind of stopped and I thought, hmm, I don't have any of that in my job at the moment. Um, that's, or, or in, in kind of a corporate career, um, I felt like I'd hit a bit of a ceiling, so growth where was the growth coming from? Um, I certainly, I wasn't enjoying it that much anymore. Um, I, I didn't feel like it was an adventure, you know, that feeling of, can I do it? Exciting. Um, um, is this, I didn't have that and, and inspiration because of all those things, I didn't have inspiration that, that was a, like one of those light bulb moments where you think, hmm. You know, if I'm true to myself and these are my four words, I'm not living my life by those four words at all. And, you know, obviously you could get adventure and inspiration from other parts of your life. But the reality is I was working in London, living in the Midlands, so traveling home every weekend. There wasn't much time to do any of that. Um, obviously, some of the running was my adventure, but um, be doing ultra marathons and things, but again, that is limited. And, and I thought, no, the whole of your life has to be an adventure and you have to be, be an inspiration and be inspired to do something different. So that, that's, that's, that's kind of my journey into thinking, no, I should be doing something different. But it was actually, that was before COVID and I kind of explored different options and then COVID hit and I actually was at home very different. Um, and, but also I thought I can't leave the company or my team now, you know, that, that, and it's probably not, not a good option to in this much uncertainty to just quit and do something different. So. It took me a long time to, and but I think the pandemic for me, and, and that's how I know a lot of people suffered and had a really hard time, so I don't want this to sound flippant, but for me, the lockdowns were maybe a, a good thing because I had time. I, it forced me to slow down and think, and I did a lot of soul searching during that time. I spent a lot of time running as well. Um, 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 as my way to get out and um, I I just yeah that's when the decision to start my own business was formed during those years two years really no it's um so so how did you how did you kind of come to the no no so how how did you go through that process of I'm thinking about leaving. I'm going to leave. I've left, and now I've got to start. Okay, at what point did you realize 
the vision of what you were going to do and how you were going to do it. You know, I'm interested in this kind of strategic, visionary, you know, let's put a plan on paper. How did you go about that? How did you know what was right for you? Um, I I think I have to say that um and and that obviously being financially independent and having some freedom played a role. So I I made I sat down and thought, can we afford this? And I didn't want to be in a position where I was under a lot of pressure to come up with a business idea that would make lots of money straight away because I knew I didn't I wanted to explore, I want to see what the market is saying, I want to try different things and I wanted this time I actually wanted to slow it down and make it a bit more. I wanted to create something that works for me and my lifestyle and that works with clients. So um I made sure that my husband and I were in a good position that we we can sustain this for a longer time. So I think it's important to say that I know I'm in a good position and not everyone would be able to do that. But And I'm very grateful for that. But um, I, I would also acknowledge that I've sat down and made that plan and worked hard to make sure it works financially. Um, so I've made plans for our lives, for our finances. I haven't so much... Um, and this sounds a bit crazy, but I haven't so much planned it for the business because coming out of a, a, a corporate career, there's always like a transition phase and you just got to give yourself some time. You know, you're, I'm still, after 18 months, very wedded to my nine to five, sitting at my desk. I find it very difficult to break out of that. These are habits that we formed over many years. Um, I, I still feel guilty if I don't work on a Friday afternoon because I've got something else on. So it's it's this, I know I needed to give myself the time and and I need to learn, you know, I'm doing something different. Um, I need to learn how to do it. I need to have the time and the space. So I had a vague idea and I wanted to experiment and I, I, as when I look back how far I've come, I've come a long way to how I, I've developed some services, I've created uh, ideas of who my audiences are, um, I've, I've learned so much and I've also become a certified coach, so I've done lots of things along the way, um, but I, I haven't put down, this is exactly what I'm going to do, I've just actually allowed myself to be a lot more flexible and actually intuitive probably to use my intuition. And over time, I will sit down and make a plan for elements of what I do, but I, I haven't made it really rigid. How have you found the kind of emotional transition from having, you know, a, a large amount of responsibility, you know, a, a large team that you're responsible for, being very busy you know and living in London to you know being at home you know on your own in a in a room in your in your office have you had moments where you've thought I've made a mistake or this is a bit lonely or you know something like that how, how have you ma have you managed that kind of emotional transition and I imagine it took a bit of time really it's a total roller coaster that still goes on. I, I don't think, you know, I, I think, and that's fine. You know, I, I'm sure um, lots of self-employed or freelance uh, kind of micro-business owners that I speak to have the same thing. I've never felt lonely because actually I do speak to a lot of people. I go out, um, I was amazed when I announced I would... Um, do my own thing, how many people reached out with offers of help, support. Um, I've, the Birmingham business community where I worked for a long time has taken me back with open arms. They, they are quite a close-knit community. They, a lot of them know each other and um, I go to a lot of networking. And the nice thing is I decide what I do, who I do it with, when I do it. I've got 
complete control. And it's it's actually I've had the the I, I've had the the pleasure of actually being really deliberate in who I surround myself with, the people I work with. I I have, you know, I I buy services of other people like IT, marketing, things like that, and I I I kind of create my own little network of of people that sit around me, and it's it's really nice and supportive. And I have also this being busy. I, I struggle with sometimes, although I, I am quite busy, um, not not as busy as I used to be, but I've also carefully designed other things around that in my life. So I've started uh, volunteering for Samaritans. I do three shifts a month for them, um, which is which is actually really rewarding. There's, I have to go into the office, so I get a kind of an office fix every now and then it's it's a small office but it's still nice to go um and it's actually really nice community of people uh that is very supportive as well so it's kind of designing your own life and deliberately making choices and the good thing now is if i think "Mm, i'm not really happy about this i change it i have full control i can I I have had many moments where I thought, oh, I don't really want to do this. And then I think, but hang on, you can just change it. Just don't do it. <laughs> Easy as that. <laughs> so it, it's actually the operative word, I think, is liberating. I found it extremely liberating. Um, you know, I, I still have responsibility for my own business, for my clients, actually. I've feel great responsibility for them. I have kept in contact with a lot of my own team and people I've worked with. So uh, some of them use me as men as a mentor um, or a sounding board. So it's I I still have moments of of passing on, you know, my my leadership or my thinking to other people. And that's really nice. Yeah. You know it, it- it is quite it's quite nice to listen to actually Svenja. it's a very purpose driven sort of life um not many people manage to achieve it um and as you say there's a point of you have the capacity to make the decisions that you did um which is i can feeds into the sort of education piece that you know is part of the purpose of your business but um yeah it's it it is it's really nice to listen to especially as someone who was talking to you you know, before you made all these changes and before COVID to kind of hear the changing language that I can see now. So, you know, credit, credit to you, really. Um, but what about if we look forward then? So how do you see, so how do you see your role in wealth management, in financial education or planning or however we want to call it? You know, how do you see your role in your business fitting into the wider context of the wealth management market or the financial education market, if we can call it that? Yeah, I kind of, I feel like I sit in two worlds now. I still have one foot in financial services because I help people with their decisions around money. Um, but I also sit in the coaching world now. So I'm, I'm kind of... I kind of like that I'm different. I'm a different person within financial services, quite unique. I I help people make their own decisions. I'm a sounding board. I'm, I don't give regulated advice, but I know exactly where the boundaries are. And I help people um, kind of feel empowered to understand what's going on with their money, but also to kind of build a better relationship with money to understand their habits and make kind of longer lasting change. And then as a coach, I do help people with going through change in their life or creating a change in their life like I've done it. And then as a coach, you would stop there, but I can actually, I still build financial plans I just don't make product recommendations but I can then actually help them to see whether what they want to do is viable from a financial perspective as well and so it makes me kind of different in both worlds which I really like um 
but I also, I have, I have a very different relationship with my clients now. So I have, I, I spend a lot more time with my clients. They come to me with questions that they would have never asked me before. Um, one of my clients said to me the other day, um, and he has, he has a wealth manager. So he said, in all these years, no one has ever explained this to me. Thank you for the wonderful education. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Um, but I have, I've also picked up a lot of clients that would never, ever go to a wealth manager or a financial advisor. They don't have enough assets or they feel really scared about it. They, they just wouldn't interact with financial services. So sometimes I see myself as kind of a conduit for people that wouldn't normally interact with financial services and, and help them kind of create a safe space for them to to understand because those people also need to plan their money and they also need to understand and and quite often they need to build better habits and if I can enable that how good is that and and I know the industry thinks that technology is the answer to that very often I I use technology I use the software to do the cash flow planning and I use other tools but I actually think that those people that are a bit skeptical, they don't know, they feel a bit scared, they, they feel inferior, they wouldn't use technology just on their own. They just wouldn't even know how to find it. So they still need someone in there to, that they can trust and, and build a relationship with that might then say, why don't you try this tool? But they wouldn't ever get to that technology on their own, I don't think. So I'm not sure you'll be able to answer this this question, or if you've almost just just answered it. But I'll ask it anyway. Um, so now you have experience of working within wealth management um, as a regulated individual and advising clients in what is what I would say is kind of a, a typical fashion, and now you've got a completely different perspective as acting as a a coach for, for, for want of a better word around sort of money habits, some of which there's a, a genuine question of, you know, cost to serve. Um, and, and perhaps where that's where technology comes in, but perhaps there are other clients that on paper could be a good, a, no good is the wrong word, but a, a potential client, a viable client for an advice practice of, of different shapes or sizes. What do you think that the wealth management space could learn from your experience or your perspective over the last couple of years to kind of break down the barriers a little around the inferior kind of complex that we tend to to put out there if that was yeah enough. yeah yeah no it I have learned a lot and some of these clients are people I would have dealt with in a previous career. So um, I have met them in different settings and I, you know, I, we, the industry talks a lot about trusted advisor, building relationships, but I think the industry has almost not gone far enough you know, you, to build relationships of trust. That takes a long time and it, but it, it it takes a skill as well. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm a financial coach. I do financial well-being. But actually, coaching is a skill that needs training. You need to, you know, you need to have some kind of training or certification to know how to do it. It sounds like everyone could do it, but it needs practice as well. Listening, giving someone that safety that they can ask you whatever they want. And quite often it has to do with not judging them. And judging could be in the way your body language goes, if you think, mm, what are they talking about? Or even if in the way you use your words, it, it can be quite subtle, but people pick up on that and it puts them off. But it is also, you know, the, the big buildings, the, you know, the, the kind of money that those in that industry comes with it. Some people are just really scared by it. Um, 
but also I think for me, my, my advantage now is that I, I always thought it would be a disadvantage not to be regulated and not to be able to give that kind of product advice, but, um, but actually it's, I've noticed, and that was a surprise to me. It's an advantage. A lot of people say, no, that's why I come to you. I know you won't sell anything to me because you can't. So is, I always think is the true advisor, someone who is completely removed from the actual solution. I know that's how, that's not how financial advice works at the moment. And it might be quite difficult to implement that, but certainly I think I've built a lot of trust because people know I won't be able to sell them a solution at the end of it. I can't, I can point them in directions. And I do, you know, I, I do recognize regulated advice is required. I refer out quite regularly if clients come to me that don't interact with financial services, they use me as an entry or as like a sounding board, and then they go on and have an advisor or they have an advisor and I work alongside them. But um, I do think that removal, there's still a lot in the industry about, oh, are you going to sell me something or, you know, what am I paying for that kind of, that people being really careful around that. Whereas I charge a fee, they know I charge a fee for spending time with them and not, I, I, there is no product at all. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question now and I'm, I'm genuinely really looking forward to the answer because I'm going to ask you to kind of reflect on how you might approach your career differently with the perspective that you have today. But in the context of when you started your career, you weren't in the sort of, you didn't have the financial security that you did when you were able to make that decision. So you still had to, in theory, pursue a corporate career. You still would have had to have made those being that driven, you know, progress within your career in a kind of a more typical way. But I'm interested in your how your perspective may have changed your approach um, and to kind of reflect a little bit. I think I would have slowed down. It's almost like, you know, in, in ultra marathon running, they always say, don't go off too quickly. And, you know, you, you're going to, you know, you, you're going to have to keep your energy for a long time. And I've learned that from the running. And I think I should have, you know, in hindsight, it would have been good to just slow down earlier on when I was, I was so driven and so, you know, I have to get there, but I, I had another 10 years to, to get to a head off role possibly. Um, but then, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. So think, I still believe that things happen for a reason and you know, I wanted to be pushed. I love a challenge. Um, I still love a challenge and I will still be looking for challenges. So I, I just, I, I just think, you know, what else would I, would, would I've maybe, I don't know. I, I don't think it's very difficult to say I would have stayed somewhere for longer. Um, yeah, you know, you, I, I certainly, now I'm more on a mission to make my work work within my lifestyle and kind of be able to sustain that until I'm 70 or 80. So to keep working and, and having a working life where I really enjoy what I do and, and kind of stretch it out. And, but I, I don't think, you know, I don't think you can say, I think I had to learn the things I learned on the way to come to that conclusion. I don't think I could have done it differently at the start. I think I had to, um, and, and it's done good for me. You know, I've seen lots of different things, the various career of seeing retail banking, investment banking, and then wealth management, I makes me into the sounding board that I can be now because I've seen all the different things. I've worked in different places. I've, I've done stints in New York, Lithuania. So I've worked in lots of different countries and, and, you know, 
I wouldn't want it any different way. If anything, I would probably want it a bit more of an international experience, but you know, I still got lots of years in front of me, so I can do what I want now. Um, and actually one of the things I have decided is I, I have actually enrolled to start studying psychology. So I am still on this path of never stop learning, never, you know, always find something new, find a challenge and see where it takes you. I don't think you'll ever stop, Svenja. But, well, we will, uh, if you've ever listened to one of our podcasts, we always end with uh, the the quick fire round. It's it's our anchor, as I say, you know, the consistency that we yes. ask the same five questions to all the different guests. So um, we'll move through to there and kind of wrap up. But you happy with that? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So five questions. The idea, don't think too much about it. Just kind of say whatever naturally comes out. So in, in one word, Svenja, how would your partner describe you? Independent. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Who is your idol? Bufflebs. Don't really have one, to be honest. No? Maybe Barack Obama. I really liked him. Because I I liked him of the way he treated other people, no yeah. matter how low or high they were. Very kind. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, what are you currently reading? I I'm just I've got the book here. It's called the Coach's Casebook. Okay. Um, which is all about um. Um, kind of coaching scenarios and actually the common traits that most coaching clients have like people pleasing, imposter syndrome lots of different things that a lot of us have and it, it talks through case studies and and how to kind of techniques to help people with that good, okay and um, okay, yeah, sorry I forgot it then um, what's uh what? What's your pet hate, Svenja? Pet hate arrogance. I can't stand arrogance. Okay, final one, and we're done. So you can go anywhere in the world, Signia or Payne. Um, you are by yourself or with your partner. Where do you go? Somewhere I haven't been in Japan. Ah, yeah. I don't know. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? But um Yeah. Thank you. That was that was a lot of fun. I think you've got a as I say, a really yeah. different perspective and a quite a unique story that I think will will do well to replicate within the wealth management space. So and I very much appreciate you taking the time to come on, Svenja. No, yeah. thank you for having me.